Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please turn to the Old Testament reading from your Bibles. It will be Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, on page 794. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. This is the way of the Lord. The New Testament lesson is from the 12th chapter of John's Gospel. It's an incident that occurs shortly after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem as he is uh, teaching in the temple area. Hear God's word. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will be also. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was, not for, was for your benefit, not mine. 
Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so you may become children of light. May God bless to us the hearing and the understanding of God's holy word. Every Sunday, people come into this sanctuary wishing to see Jesus. People who are responding to some deep longing to make sense out of life, who are looking to find meaning and purpose in what they do. I remember at one church I served, a young man would slip into the back of the sanctuary just as worship started, and then he would leave during the closing hymn. I noticed him doing that for months. He never introduced himself or signed the friendship register that was passed along the pews during the service. But one day, I got a call from someone wanting to come by the church office and talk with me. When this fellow walked into my study, I recognized him as that mysterious man. He explained to me that he was trying to put his life back on track after some fits and starts. He had a rough hitch in the army right after high school. He tried college, but, but that didn't work out. He had some issues with substance abuse. He was looking for something but he wasn't quite sure what, and he wondered if maybe he could find it in church. To make a long story short, he found what he was looking for and was baptized. Soon he moved away, but occasionally I still heard from him. He got a steady job, started going to graduate school at night, and joined a congregation near his new home. What he had been looking for was given to him by Jesus, whom he encountered on those Sundays as he sat there in the back row. There's something that draws people to Jesus, something about him that resonates with the depths of the human soul. Right after Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, some people approached Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, I can imagine Philip responding to that request the way people respond to so much in John's gospel. It really helps to read that gospel with a sense of humor because so often people misunderstand what's going on. Jesus, you remember, 
tells Nicodemus that the way to eternal life is to be born again. Nicodemus thinks he's talking about obstetrics. Jesus tells the crowd, I am the bread of life, and they think he's talking about dinner. Philip hears some people say they wish to see Jesus, and I can imagine that he starts to arrange a cameo celebrity appearance. But Jesus always knows what's really going on. He knows what it is we're really looking for. Those Greeks were not celebrity spotting. They weren't looking to see the latest personality in the news cycle. They were looking for life's meaning and purpose. They were looking for the one who would call forth from them something that they knew was there but could not really bring forth. So instead of giving them his autograph, Jesus gave them life. He spoke to their very deepest need. And he did that by being straight with them. He told them that soon he would die and be buried. His body would be placed in a grave the way a seed is planted in the chilly, barren soil of spring. Whoever wants this new life has to follow him. They have to allow that old self to die. Like a seed that germinates, only then would he be raised, straining toward the light of the sun. Like a seed produces fruit to feed the hungry and sustain their life. So you want to see Jesus? He's on the cross. He's lifted up to be buried. He dies to be raised. We give our old self to him to receive new life in return. It's a challenge to talk about all this because as you maybe can get a feeling for, human language just is inadequate to describe who Jesus is and what he does. The only way that we can get get at it is by using metaphors, images that we can understand to lead us deeper. Jesus does that all the time. He says he's the good shepherd, but he's not really tending sheep. He says he's living water, but we know he's not liquid. There's so many metaphors describing Jesus in the Bible that none of them is adequate to describe him. And sometimes he mixes metaphors, especially in John, and he does it in a way that I know my high school English teacher would disapprove. You're not supposed to mix metaphors, right? But sometimes you just can't help it. In this one passage, he switches from describing himself as a seed that has to die to the metaphor of light. He tells us that those who want to follow him have to die like a seed being planted and they also have to walk in the light. So to go with this new metaphor... When you turn on a light in a dark room, 
what we thought to be one thing often turns out to be something else. When something's hidden in the shadows, it fools us. In the dark, what can be bad can look good, and what's good can look bad. The shadow we thought was an intruder crouching in the corner of our room, once we turn the light on, turns out to be just a quilt draped over the chair. When we see something in the light, we know what it really is. Jesus casts light on those deep longings that we feel drawing us to him. He shows us that what we're yearning for is our deepest and truest self. In Jesus, we see who we truly are. We were created in God's image. And to say we were created in the image of God does not mean that God physically looks like you or like I. It means that God made us to reflect the essence of God. And as we know from the first letter of John, God is love. Love that gives for others. And we see what that love looks like in Jesus, who gave himself for us. It's hard to make sense of that kind of self-giving apart from the cross. Without the light of the cross, love that sacrifices itself for others really just looks like a recipe for failure and death. The novelist Ayn Rand, who wrote in the mid-20th century, has been growing in popularity in recent years. Many political leaders who've come to power around the world recently cite her as an inspiration for the vision they are offering their people. In her books like Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead, Rand praises individualism, maximizing the self, and a Darwinian belief that the way for a society to thrive is to support those who are strong and leave the weak and the helpless to fend for themselves. You hear many positions like that advocated in current political debates. A magazine devoted to Rand's philosophy, which is called Objectivism, proclaims that, quote, altruism, or self, selfless concern for others, is not good for one's life. If accepted and practiced consistently, it leads to death. This is what Jesus did, it points out. An altruist might not die from his morality as long as he cheats on it, but nor will he live fully. Why not live a life full of happiness? Why sacrifice at all? What reason is there to do that? For in the entire history of philosophy, the number of answers to this question is exactly zero. Well, Jesus beams light on that argument that seems to make so much common sense. That philosophy that says we have to look out for ourselves first and then everything else will fall into place. Jesus exposes that by beaming the light of love, God's love that gives itself for us. Now, 
This is not the kind of sacrifice that tries to win approval. It's not that kind of compulsive giving that wears you down because you're desperate to be loved. It's not the kind of thing that is self-destructive. The kind of giving that Jesus calls us to is the kind of living that brings you life because you're confident you're already loved and accepted by God through Jesus. You don't give of yourself to win love. You give of yourself because you are loved. Six months after Hurricane Katrina devastated the city of New Orleans, a group of people from the church I served in Louisville, Kentucky, went to help out with the rebuilding. They stayed in a temporary village of trailers set up by the Presbyterian Disaster Assistance Program. The man who was in charge of the village was a fellow named Victor. He was the one who told the other volunteers where they could find the supplies they needed. He worked alongside them during the day, mucking out houses and tearing out wet drywall. And when the others returned to the village to collapse from exhaustion, Victor pulled out the lawnmower and cut the grass. After the people from our church had been there for a couple of days, someone told them Victor's story. Victor was a homeless man from Indianapolis. Second Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis had worked with him when he was living out on the street. And when they put together a team to go help hurricane victims, they invited Victor to join them. After the team from Indianapolis had been working for a week, it was time for them to return home. But Victor informed them that he was going to stay for a few more weeks. He asked the team members if they'd look out for his belongings, which he'd stashed under a bridge back in their city. This homeless man threw himself into the work of rebuilding homes for those whom the hurricane had made like him, homeless. He saw Jesus there among those Christians who were pouring themselves out for others because Jesus poured himself out for them. Those Greeks who wanted to see Jesus made their request to Philip because they knew he was a friend of Jesus. That young man who sat in the back of the sanctuary in the church I served came to worship because it was a place where he might see Jesus. Victor in New Orleans saw Jesus because that light of Jesus shone on those who through the light of the cross led them to that place and Jesus saw what love showed what love looks like. People are drawn to IPC because like Philip you're friends of Jesus. Even more than many churches, you are a beacon to those who are looking for a transforming light in their lives. You are an international church, which means that you're a haven for sojourners in a foreign land. Throughout the Bible, we see that God is often most active among those who've been displaced, whose lives are in transition. 
It was only when God hauled Abraham out of his home in Haran and sent him to that foreign land of Canaan that God changed his life and made him the father of a great nation. It was in the wilderness, that in-between place where the Israelites were wandering without a permanent address, it was there that God revealed himself and gave the law. It was when they were exiles, foreigners in Babylon, that Israel encountered God in a whole new way, wrote down the scriptures, and heard the prophets proclaim the coming of the Messiah. Those Greeks who asked to see Jesus were in a foreign land. And the gospel writer makes a point of telling us that Philip, whom they asked, was from Bethsaida in Galilee. He too was far from home. Being in a new place, a different situation, can often make us look deeply inside ourselves. When life is upended, and sometimes that can happen if you've been in the same place your whole life, then we're often more open to be changed, to bury the old self and let that new self rise up to the light. And that is what draws a lot of people here to IPC. People who like the Greeks, would like to see Jesus. Jesus showed the power of love when he died on the cross. He showed how love is what overcomes everything that can hurt us or destroy us. From the power of a Category 5 hurricane, to the power of addiction, to the power of hatred, to whatever it is that grips us and holds us to that old self that we know is not who God made us truly to be. It's in his self-giving love that we discover who we are and why we're here. It's a light that shines on our souls and lets us see everything differently, starting with ourselves. The opening of John's gospel says it best. In him, Jesus, the word, was life. And that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Amen.